Hello and welcome to this Leeds Sanctuary podcast. We at Leeds Sanctuary have recently commissioned a book of meditations called Everyday Sacrament. It is written by local artist Sharon Caton Rose and published by Siglum Publishing. This is a recording of our book launch, where I interview Sharon about the process of writing the book, and we hear some beautiful reflections from Shamim and Jenny about the impact of the book and the influence their women's interfaith group had on the creation of one of the meditations. We really hope you enjoy it, and please do buy the book at our online store on our website, leadsanctuary.org.uk. Thank you. Hello everyone, we've got the mics working, that's the first hurdle overcome. Uh, So it's lovely to see you all here, thank you so much for being with us this evening. Um, As Helen said, I'm the team leader of Leeds Sanctuary who have commissioned this book and been part of the creative process. Um, So we are a Christian wellbeing project in Leeds City Centre, part of the Methodist Yorkshire West District. We work on creativity, reflection and wellbeing. We run the Leeds Craftivist Group, a weekly mindfulness group, retreat days, wellbeing courses, and we have a particular community focus on the Leeds Dock area of the city centre. We are working for the flourishing of Leeds and its people, and this book is an example of how we're trying to do that. Um, And you can find out more about us and what we do, if you don't already know, um, on the table by the door, where hopefully you'll all be buying your books this evening. Um, so I am here with the lovely Sharon Caton Rose, um, who wrote these beautiful meditations that make up this book. Um, and we are going to have a conversation to hear a little bit more about Sharon's creative process, putting it together. And then Sharon is going to do us the honour of reading a little bit of the book to us. So um, Sharon, would you like to t- start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, so I'm Sharon and I'm an artist, uh, first and foremost, before I was ever a writer. Um, I make artwork that is based in printmaking and installation. Um, I also work, as Helen very well described, in social practice. So I work a lot in the community, um, enabling people both in activist ways, but also in ways of well-being. Um, and I also run art and well-being retreats and I've been working with my colleague here Linda to set up an organisation to offer more of those to people who would not otherwise be able to access those um, sorts of experiences. Um, I get My paid day job is two days a week at an arts and crafts centre for disabled adults where I live which is in Nairsborough. So I don't live indeed, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I'm also very proud to be a trustee of a charity based in Bradford called Shine, which is a grassroots charity that works um, from the bottom up, enabling people to grow and to reach their potential um, and to overcome all the obstacles that they face where they live. That's me. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Sharon. Um, would you like to tell us a little bit about your lockdown experience? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, so, yes, yeah, so my lockdown was probably better than some people's lockdowns because I live in a beautiful place. Um, but um, it was a mixed bag like it was for many people, I think. Um, and my initial um, feeling was a sense of isolation. Um, I have a lot of friends and I really miss them. I really miss my friends. Um, And most of my family is far flung as well. Um, And I was stuck with my husband. (laughs) (laughs) 
who's an introvert. <laughs> so that was challenging. Um, and also the other thing, interestingly, was this sense of being in one place all the time. Um, because I spend a lot of time, as some people here know, travelling to Bradford particularly. I also work bid in Leeds um, and I do some other art projects elsewhere too. So all of a sudden I was just in one place mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and I found that really, really hard. Um, but I also discovered some delights of being in one place. So I found new things where I live um, and I've discovered new corners of where I live that were sort of rewilding and sort of places I could be by myself and connect with nature and connect with the divine as well. Um, and I discovered, well, I didn't discover, but I sort of got into more wild swimming. Mm. So that was good, yeah. And just before the pandemic, I and my husband took on an allotment, which was an absolute godsend and probably means we're still married. Wonderful. <laughs> 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 Thank you very much. Um, so these, the book that you will hopefully buy tonight and that we are celebrating this evening is a series of reflections, meditations, tracking the period of the lockdown and picking out some of the key times over those two years. Um, so, Sharon, would you be able to tell us a little bit about the process of writing these reflections? How did you come up with the themes and how did the writing of them and sharing that impact your lockdown experience? Wow. <laughs> Sorry, it's a big question. <laughs> I'm going to be a bit naughty and quote something. Is that OK? Yes. So I've just read, I don't know whether anyone else here has read Braiding Sweetgrass, uh, which I think is a fabulous book and it's really, really hit me on it's just the perfect thing for me um, at the moment um, and it's going to lead to me thinking about lots of different things but it's written by um, Robin uh, remember her surname Robin Wall Camera um, who is a Native American and also a scientist and she's talking about ecology and how we manage the world and the balance between science and indigenous knowledge um, and she talks she made wrote a quote about writing and I thought it was very appropriate so I'm going to read that first that many indigenous people share the understanding that we are each endowed with a particular gift and a unique ability, birds to sing and stars to glitter. It's understood that these gifts have a dual nature though, a gift is a responsibility. If the bird's gift is song, then it has a responsibility to greet the day with music. It is the duty of a bird to sing and the rest of us to receive the song as a gift. Asking what is our responsibility is perhaps to ask what is our gift and how shall we use it? Other beings are known to be especially gifted with attributes that humans lack. Other beings can fly, they can see at night, they can make maple syrup. What can humans do? We may not have wings or leaves, but we humans have words. Language is our gift and our responsibility. So... My practice as an artist, I have seen as a vocation for quite a long time. Um, writing was new to me, and that was one of the gifts of lockdown. Um, um, but I feel that it is a gift that's been given me, but it's also a responsibility. And that's the first thing I'd say yeah. about it. Yeah, great. Yeah. The, what were the other questions? <laughs> now I've preached to you all. And um, how did you come up with the themes and how did writing impact your lockdown experience? Okay, so, um, well, I'm a bit of a magpie. So I collect things from everywhere. Um, and I came up with two words when I was thinking about tonight, collect and connect. Mm -hmm. So it, I take things from all sorts of sources, things I've read over the years. As I said, I run art and wellbeing retreats. So 
I've collected a lot of text together over a long period of time. The new things I was reading, things I was seeing on the internet. Also noticing what was happening in the world was really important to me. Um, and what other people were saying to me. So later you're going to hear from some lovely people who I was honoured to be part of a project with over lockdown. And listening to the other women in the group that we were working with was just really powerful. And it taught me so much. So I, I suppose I put all those things together. The other thing I think was really helpful was the idea of using images and words together. Because I think quite symbolically. So I had word, I had an image to start with and then I led it into words. But actually it was a bit like a conversation because then as I was thinking about ideas, looking at the image, it would talk, talk to me and then the words would talk to the image and vice versa. So it sort of went round in circles, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, and each informed each other. It was a process that worked really well for me. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Uh, what else? <laughs> Is that it? Uh, yeah, I mean, themes. How did you come up with the themes? The themes. Uh, well, I think themes were around what I was feeling at the time um, and what I was noticing at the time. Mm -hmm. um, uh, there were some things in lockdown. We didn't really... I, had a, I, I talk a lot, sorry. <laughs> uh, there were but other things about lockdown that I found quite disturbing. So I was quite concerned when we started having police laws around um, our movability in the country and such like, which were necessary perhaps, but I was worried about where it was going. And mm -hmm. to be honest, uh, we now know where it was going with the police bill. Um, and things like that really concerned me. I noticed a lot of things. I noticed how people were behaving with each other. There was more respect sometimes. And then in other cases, there wasn't so much respect. And, mm -hmm. and different different things I kept noticing and things I was seeing on the news and yeah, I think that's probably Yeah, and what what I found rereading it, um, as it's come together um, as a published piece, is it really takes me back to those times in lockdown when big things were happening and there were significant moments that really united us all. And I think you, well, my experience of reading them at the time was that you spoke for a lot of us in terms of your how you were responding to that. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that's that's a powerful thing and it's powerful to take us back to that time to then reflect on what that means for us now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Tell us about the role creativity plays in your spirituality and where you hope to share this through the book. Uh, so creativity and spirituality are intrinsically linked in my own life. Um, I, I would find it hard to disentangle my spirituality and my creativity. They just go hand in hand and each feeds each other all the time. Um, I've always made artwork um, that are about faith or spiritual themes or about things that, again, I see happen around me in the world and I'm trying to process in terms of who I am and who I am as a person of faith. So that that's part of the story and part of the conversation. Um, so, yes, yeah, so, and I've lost my track of what I'm saying. <laughs> I've had that moment that I always get at some point in the, in the, in the conversation. Um, I think, yeah, I think creativity and spirituality are hugely important. Um, and a lot of the work that I do in the community is around that. Maybe not um, spirit, you know, Christianity with capital C or any faith with a particular uh, identity, but around spirituality and about well-being being not just about your body and mind, but about your spirit mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so that's what's important. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's why one of the reasons that we work together initially is because there's such a beautiful synergy in the work that you do and the work that um, we do at Lead yeah. Sanctuary. Yeah. So that's been really great to work together on that. Uh, okay, my final question for you Why should people buy this book? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> 
Well, I think although the book is rooted in the experience of lockdown, um, I think the themes are, uh, and, that, and the good things and the bad things of lockdown, um, I think the ideas it represents are eternal. Mm. Um, and we, it's good to not forget what we've learned through mm. lockdown, um, both good and bad, again, mm. um, and where we go with that and to continue to learn from it and not just shove it aside, it's like, oh, we've done that now, and thank goodness we're out of that, and off we go, sort of thing. Do you mind if I read another quote? Is that yeah, right? please do. <laughs> so um, a friend of mine sent me, she, I'm on her emailing list, and she sent me this, and I thought it was really appropriate. Lockdown capsized us in some ways, in other ways it was a huge opportunity. Because mm. it, it did give us that chance to really stop in our tracks. Those of us who rush around like mad things, which a lot of us are, I was forced to be still <laughs> and actually for me that was a gift because I really explored contemplative practices um, and realised that my life was just too manic. I haven't quite learned how not to do it now, it's busy again. <laughs> I think I had that conversation with someone here just a few minutes ago. But I'm aware that that is something I need to address and really get to grips with. Mm. Um, but also other bigger things like our environment, you know, um, lockdown was really marked, the loss of um, plane travel and car travel just really it, it felt like it changed our weather <laughs> it, whether it did or not whether you know whether you know, the science is out on that one particularly but it made us realize also that we could do things without having you didn't have to have a meeting with someone and by going there you can do it on good old-fashioned mm. zoom <laughs> nowadays um but there are ways around the mm. ways we can address it if we have the mind and the will to do it yeah. to change things for the better yeah, yeah and the and this book will take you back to that and those learnings and <laughs> yes yes so please do buy one <laughs> or two um thank you so much Sharon thank um, you and I believe now you're going to do a reading from the book to give us all a little bit of a taster can I just say a big thank you to the sanctuary oh, thank you. yeah for believing in it and commissioning it and paying for it <laughs> all good and Simon as well from Sigram for believing in it as well and championing it and all the advice and guidance in publishing it so thank you very very much I appreciate it okay so this is an extract from the chapter called The Weight of Liberty uh, which was written in August 2020 when lockdown had eased and limited travel was starting to be allowed this chapter refers to one of the creative activities available tonight, the boat, which was mentioned earlier. <laughs> um, and I thought it was appropriate, A, because you can have a go at the activity tonight, um, but also because it's sort of, you know, we, we are on a journey out of the pandemic now. Uh, in this chapter, I used an image called The Mystical Boat by Odilon Redon. I think I've said his name correctly. Um, and I invited the reader to consider where they were in the boat. So it's a, it's a painting of a boat on the sea. Were they sailing the sea, heading into a storm, enjoying the sea breeze, in the doldrums, or were they off on an adventure? Sometimes it would be much easier to stay in harbour and not to brave the storm. But as Archbishop Kamara said, Pilgrim, when your ship long moored in harbour, gives the illusion of being a house put out to sea. Save your boat's journeying soul and your own pilgrim soul, cost what it may. At the end of the book, Tombs of Atuan by Ursula Le Guin, the main character leaves her native island in a boat to start a new life, free at last from the tyranny of the traditions and the darknesses that have claimed her for her whole life. 
Le Guin talks about the weight of liberty, of freedom being a heavy load, a soul burden and a choice that is made. Freedom is exciting, but it also brings the weight of responsibility. There will be discovery, but there may also be storms. We can sail into the horizon and there will always be another horizon after that one. But sometimes we do not have a say of the currents and where they might take us. It is a wonderful adventure that never ends, always requires our courage, and it is a soul-saving experience. Thank you so much. Um, so now we are going to invite up Simon. Um, as Sharon said, Simon is the hero of the hour um, <laughs> of Siglum Publishing, who agreed to work with us on this book. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for all your advice. And it'll be thank you very much indeed, um, both Anna and Sharon. It's an absolute delight and honour to have been able to publish this book. Um, I have lots of thoughts about it, but one is that um, we've all had different experiences of lockdown and of the pandemic, but for some people, it's meant that their world has become smaller and slightly more remote, almost digital. And what this book does is it brings us back in the room and it starts very locally in many places, but it takes us right out on the journey into the world. And that's absolutely what a good book should do. And it was a particular gift to me because um, the name of the publisher is Siglum, and that sounds slightly mysterious, but I'm actually the director of Ecclesia, which is a change network and a think tank about um, Christians in public life, but also um, people of, of other faith and people of good faith who may not necessarily have a religious commitment. And we've published, I think, about 14 books so far, but we decided a year or so ago to set up Siglum because we found that some of the very positive messages that um, people were putting out through us were not reaching a wide enough audience because people were perhaps immediately a bit intimidated by the term religion or organised religion. And so actually we decided that what Siglum would be about would be an opportunity to build bridges between people of different life experiences with spirituality at their heart, but maybe expressed in different ways, and to make art and culture central to it. And so it was just amazing one day when I think it was Sharon you know, who made the approach through our website with this idea for this book, and it was absolutely perfect and fitted so well into that journey that we were on ourselves. So, you know, I won't say more about it because you need to experience it. And isn't it fantastic that the book isn't just something on, on paper, it's something that brings people together at a fabulous event like this. And this event says so much also about our, our journey in an age of, of pandemic. I think the last thing I want to say is that um, it's been an absolute joy to work with Sharon and with Anna. And thanks also to Emily and lots of other people I probably haven't met yet who've contributed towards this. Um, if you talk to people in publishing, um, they will not always um, immediately wish to sing the praises of their authors or their creatives and so on. And what I can assure you is if, as I have just done, they do, they really mean it. Um, it's been wonderful to, to work. You know, we've had hurdles to overcome, you know, difficulties to overcome in the process. But the creativity that is expressed in the book 
and by Sharon and Anna was very much reflected also in the process that we went through and I really valued that as well. So thank you to Sharon and Anna in particular and thank you to everyone this evening um, and I'm looking forward to what comes next. So thank you very much indeed. That's great. A good book needs a good publisher, so I think that's gone well. I'd now like to introduce you to Jenny Ramston and Shimi Bakhtar from Touchstone, and that's a Methodist project in the city centre of Bradford. So Jenny and Shimi work together, particularly with women, and in creative ways, and they explore ways to talk about life and faith. We're delighted to welcome you to come on up and talk about your take on this book. Good evening everyone, it's really nice to be with you here this evening. Um, we're Jenny and Shamim, as Helen said, we're from Touchstone Bradford. Um, Touchstone is part of the Methodist Church. We're based right in Bradford city centre. And one of the things we specialise in is creative interfaith engagement. Um, so I'm the interfaith worker at Touchstone and it is my role, um, I work really closely with Shamim, it's my role to bring together women from different faith communities from across Bradford in various creative ways. Um, and the aim is that they get to know each other, that they learn more about each other's faith traditions, that they form deep and genuine friendships. And in doing that, we hope that we are transforming the community in which we live. Hi everybody, I'm Shamim Akhtar and I'm Touchstone's Community Outreach Worker. I've worked uh, for Touchstone for about four years now, working closely with Jenny. Uh, and my role primarily is to engage and support women who take part in our creative arts programmes. So we're going to focus on one particular meditation from the book because it's a meditation um, that we worked on together, Shamim and I, and based on a project that we worked on together uh, that Sharon led with us, and it was a project that took place during lockdown. So to set the context of the meditation, uh, we're going to share with you a bit about how we first met Sharon and started working with her, and also tell you about the project that we were involved with with Sharon during lockdown. Um, so about a year before the pandemic, um, Shamim and I ran a project called The Art of Friendship, which, as the name suggests, is um, a project based on creative arts with the aim of bringing women together to form deep friendships. And we had received funding for an artist to lead the creative aspect of the project, so we contacted Sharon to see if she would be um, willing to lead us, and luckily for us, she said she would be really willing to lead us. And um, Sharon came up with the idea of making a friendship quilt with our group of women. I hadn't heard of a friendship quilt before, but Sharon explained its origins, which go back to about the 1840s to America, when it was common for women to have to move great distances when they went away, either to get married or for work. Um, and so what used to happen before the women left, her friends would collect fabric they would then get together and they would um, cut the pieces of fabric up and create a beautiful quilt and they would embroider their initials onto the quilt. And so when their friend came to leave, um, their, this group of friends would present her with this beautiful quilt that had been made just for them with their initials based on it because obviously often they wouldn't ever see their friend ever again. Um, so we gathered together women from different faiths and under Sharon's guidance we um, each made some squares for our friendship quilts which we started to sew together. And what we found was that as the quilts grew bigger and bigger, the friendships between the women grew deeper and deeper. 
Um, it was a wonderful project to be part of. And as uh, Jenny said, each stitch uh, cemented a, a friendship. And there was one friendship in particular between um, Hazel, who is Christian, and Asma, who is Muslim. They'd never met each other outside of Touchstone. Uh, and they just happened to sit with each other and just really hit it off. And they became such good friends. Uh, in fact, their family started calling them twins. So Hazel was the Christian twin and Asma was the Muslim twin. And it, this is just one example of the friendships that are formed um, at Touchstone. And it really just goes to show that if you do have that safe space and, and you invite people from different backgrounds just to get to know each other and try and break those barriers down, then wonderful things can happen. We have got the quilt. We're just going to do a quick show and tell very quick. So this was Sharon's work, really, that she guided us in. Yeah. And instead of embroidering initials, we embroidered symbols of friendship on. So, yeah, thank you, Sharon, again, for this project. <laughs> So not long after we finished our quilt, the pandemic struck and we went into lockdown. And like so many, we were left, Shamim and I, trying to figure out how on earth do we do our job, which is about bringing people together um, when we can't get together. Um, and how are we going to keep our work going in such different and difficult circumstances? Also recognising that many of the women we worked with who came to our sessions were carers or had small children at home and we were really worried that they were going to be isolated. So we decided that we were going to move this group online um, and we contacted Sharon again, there's a common theme, and asked Sharon again whether she would help us and again she said she would help us and she came up with the idea of making a torrent, which is a welcome banner placed above the threshold in South Asian homes. So the group of women that made this quilt um, started to meet online. We met every Wednesday uh, with Sharon guiding us every week on how to make our torrents. Uh, this particular project was called Together Apart and uh, I think it was really apt that it was named that. And we felt as Touchstone and as a team that it was really important to continue to engage with our women online because the pandemic hit and it, it was difficult for everybody. I myself am a carer uh, to my daughter and I was worried about how I would be at home all the time. Uh, so what we did was every week um, we went online and Sharon, uh, you were fantastic Sharon, I don't know how you got us to oh. make these torrents. Um, and it, it was really nice to, um, so this is, we stitched them and they were, it was welcoming different languages. So we had Urdu, Punjabi, um, there was lots of different languages that they were stitched in. But it was really important because for some of the women, coming to Touchstone was maybe the only time that they had some time to themselves and if that was gone as well then it would be a really difficult and challenging time in their lives um, and it was really good to sort of be able to go online and share our lockdown experiences and it was a wonderful um, way uh, to, to ensure that we remained together whilst physically apart. So um, we thought we are, it's these meetings, the Together Apart meetings that form the springboard one of the meditations in Sharon's book. So we're going to read to you now a section of that chapter. And this was written at the time when um, a local lockdown was brought into Bradford at very short notice with a huge impact, um, particularly on Muslim communities. So the meditation is called Stranger Danger. 
um, July 2020, local lockdowns introduced within high-risk areas at short notice. The timing of the recent lockdown in Bradford and other northern towns feels most insensitive. It showed a level of ignorance, the worst enemy of harmony and understanding. I know of one family of five who have been stuck in a tiny flat for the last five months and who had just managed to arrange an Eid get-together with one other family at a social distance in their garden. Imagine having to tell your children the night before their first party or outing in five months that it's all off. Of course we need to take the Covid pandemic seriously, but of course we also all knew that Eid was on the horizon. All that was needed was some forethought. The second picture shows a torrent, a welcome banner which is placed above the threshold in South Asian homes. Although Hindu in origin, it is commonly used by Buddhists and Muslims too. One of my joys over lockdown has been to be involved in the Circle of Friendship, an interface group of women from Bradford. We have each been making a torrent using the word welcome in different languages to represent their local community, Urdu, Punjabi, Polish and English. We have been meeting every week on Zoom to talk about our sewing, but also to laugh, listen and learn with and from each other. We mourned a friend together and shared via video in her funeral. We celebrated an iftar together and were privileged to be present for the prayers that break the Ramadan fast. We talked about our experiences of frustration, isolation, family tensions and how the pandemic is affecting our everyday lives. We have tangled our thoughts and feelings about the Black Lives Matter events. I feel deeply privileged to have learned so much from these wonderful women and living in a majoritively white area, this experience has given me much needed understandings and perspectives that I wouldn't otherwise have. And Sharon continues, and this is a concern, isn't it? Many of us live in places where we don't rub shoulders with people of other traditions, nationalities or faiths. My parents live in southwest England as part of a middle class, white, mainly ageing population. Their attitudes have appalled me on occasions. I have confronted these, of course, but I suspect some of their thinking comes from the fact that they are never challenged by lived experience. They have not met or talked with a Muslim. They do not know what a gurdwara is. They haven't chatted in an Asian supermarket with the shop assistant. Even here in Yorkshire, I have been shocked by attitudes I have encountered, even though I live only half an hour drive from Leeds. One work colleague talked about sending them all back on the banana boats. It is easy to call them them because they are over there, not in my backyard. Because if you don't know the other, they become the stranger. Black Lives Matter brought into sharp relief the need for all of us to hold our hands up and recognise white privilege, inherent white prejudice, and to challenge ourselves, others, and the system that perpetuates this. And perhaps the first thing we can do is to welcome the stranger, because more than likely they are not a stranger, just a friend we haven't met yet. Shanine's just going to talk a little bit about um, the experience that uh, Sharon mentioned about Eve and the impact that had on her. Um, yeah, so listening to the paragraph that Jenny just read out about Eid and how lockdown was announced uh, just hours before we were due to celebrate, it just really brought back memories of a really tough time. Um, 
as a Muslim, it's been a really difficult 10 or 20 years, I would say, ever since 9-11. But the pandemic really highlighted how we're seen as the other. So we just managed to work out, my family and I, we were very strict in lockdown because my mum's vulnerable, my daughter's vulnerable, so we didn't want to, you know, we, we stuck to the rules, basically. But on Eid, we were told at that time that you could have one family, um, celebrate with one family, so we'd worked it out. My sister was coming over to me, my brother was going over to my mum, and we'd worked it out. And then my daughter came in, and she said, oh, mama, they, they said we're in lockdown, and I said, oh, don't joke, you know, it's not funny. And she said, no, we'll go on Twitter. Went on Twitter and it was announced on Twitter. They didn't have the decency to announce it on, you know, the, t- the TV or anything. And it said that we're going into lockdown. And what that did for me was, oh gosh, they're blaming us. Why, why else would this announcement have been made on one of the biggest celebrations for Muslims? So we all telephoned each other and said, well, it's off, whatever it was, we're not going to break the rules. Um, it was a really difficult time trying to explain to my children and my mum that she wouldn't see us. And I was prepared for the backlash. And lo and behold, I, I shouldn't have done, but I went online and there it was. It was people pointing the finger. We were, we were the scapegoats, basically. We were, yeah. South Asians and Muslims in particular, the finger was being pointed at us. Um, and even the next day, um, I don't want to get political, but a, an MP blatantly said it on TV that it's the Muslims uh, who are responsible for the rise in the pandemic, um, the COVID cases. And yeah, it was it was such a difficult time because I remember I became a, a bit of a recluse after that. I. I very rarely went out, and if I went out, I, I made sure I had my mask, I made sure people saw me putting hand gel on so they couldn't blame me, and it was it was really awful to have to live through that, and and then you find out later that even the government had parties and they were breaking the rules, whereas we were sticking to them, so yeah, it was a really, really tough time, and I really appreciate that you put that into your book, Sharon. Uh, because it is an experience that is lived by so many of us, and even to this day, we are living it. And I just felt it it, it was really touching to read that. Thank you so much. Uh, so for us, the book, I hope you've heard, is important for us on a number of levels. It doesn't shy away from the really difficult um, realities of the pandemic. I heard often at the beginning of the pandemic that we're all in the same boat But as others have said, it quickly became apparent that whilst we were in the same storm, we certainly weren't in the same boat. And Shamim's experiences just highlight that in so many ways, and particularly how some communities, particularly people from black and minority ethnic communities, were disproportionately affected by the pandemic in so many ways. I mean, in that sense, it's a book that is about justice, which is something that is so important to both our faiths, to all faiths. And the focus on creativity is obviously something that resonates so much with Shamim and I. The book highlights that all the way through, how creativity leads us both to a deep relationship with God and with each other. And that is what our work is about at Touchstone, finding a deep relationship with God and with each other. And that is through creativity. Uh, all that's left for me to say is to say thank you to Sharon for being an instrumental part of Touchstone uh, and for doing what you did in lockdown and to say thank you to you both, to you as well Anna, for inviting us today 
uh, to speak and thank you to everybody for listening. So there you have it, some different perspectives on everyday sacrament, visual meditations in an age of pandemic. Thank you for listening to this Lead Sanctuary podcast. It was edited by Matt Collins and the music was Relaxing Piano Music and White by Kevin McLeod, used under a Creative Commons license. See the description for more information.